First Peter chapter number two. Yeah, that uh, that little saying that I I mentioned here that was in my other Bible, <laughs> carried my other Bible over and pulled it out, put in this Bible here, where it says the English philosopher F. H. Bradley quoted, "Adam knew his Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and he observed. It is a pity that this is the, is this that this is still the only knowledge of their wives at which some men seem to arrive, and uh, that's." Sad but true, and um, we kind of hit that a little bit here the other day in First Peter chapter three. We're going to get there again as we move right on through here. But First Peter chapter two, as we continue our thoughts here, and uh, let's see here. I think our last installment a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at the priesthood of the believer there in verse number 9 and also verse um, number 5, right? Yes. Holy priesthood in verse 5 and verse number 9, and we dealt with that a little bit. Of course, we could say so much more about that as far as going to the Old Testament, breaking that down. We might do that uh, at another time, but as I was looking back over here, um, and reading on uh, there in verse number 11 is where uh, I want to get to. But um, it's kind of, let's see here. Let's pick it up in verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And I could have went with the mercy right there, but God directed otherwise. And again, we may go back and grab that mercy uh, that we found there. And um, but we were not a people, but we now are a people. We had not a, we had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse number eleven, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you and praise you for the the day and uh, Lord for the services this morning and for meeting with us. Lord, I thank you. Uh, for uh, the word of God, and I pray that it would uh, fall upon or that, uh, the ears that it fell upon, that, uh, Lord, you'd carry it with them, that they would carry it with them throughout the week, that uh, something, something said, something done, some, some situation in the lives of the lost, Lord, uh, would uh, bring the message this morning back to their hearts and their thoughts this week. And I pray that you, the Holy Spirit, would just work in their hearts and draw men and women, boys and girls, unto thee. Pray and ask that you would just bless in the night services, and we ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. All right, so as I was reading in, just praying and asking God what to the next 
point that he wanted us to, to dwell upon and look at, um, what popped off the page to me uh, was the word as. And verse number 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as. And then I got to looking and remembering that uh, here so far, in chapter 1, verse 14, we see as obedient children. In chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes. Chapter 2, verse 5, ye also as lively stones. Uh, verse number 9, uh, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Verse 10, uh, in which times were not a people, but now are the people of God. In verse number 11, as strangers and pilgrims, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims. Verse number 12, having your conversation among uh, are honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. That word as there, as free, verse number 16, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So we see the servants of God there, as the servants of God. Verse number 25 of this same chapter, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. So again, whenever I seen the as strangers and pilgrims, the, all the as's started popping out <laughs> off this page, and I got to looking at it, you know. And so Peter here, as he again, uh, he's writing to, we'll rehearse this again, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So strangers, he's writing to the strangers scattered throughout, the elect strangers, but as he's writing, he's writing to save folks, but, you know, again, at, all through here he's dealing, and we've dealt with it, but it just, it just come off the page differently as I was looking at it. There's a list here. There is a, a whole list, and we're going to see more in chapter 3. I didn't even go to chapter 3. Uh, there's a couple more there. But as the children of God, he's dealing with us as all these things. Obedient children, newborn babes, lively stones, a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, not a people, the people of God. Um, and now, verse number 11, as strangers, and pilgrims. You know, so all these things here in his writing, and he's dealing with this, and, and then, of course, we're going to see servants and masters later on in this chapter, and, and uh, so on and so forth. And, uh, and then, you know, again, as sheep, and then as servants of God, we see the servants there, and then as sheep. So, so each of these has a, very, has a different aspect. And again, you know, we've rehearsed some of them, but it didn't, it didn't set on my mind and my heart as it did this time. You know, in our, in our walk, in our talk, in our uh, conversation is a better way of doing it. In our lives, we are to be all these things. And again, when we look back, Adam, obedient children. Of course, when he, he deals with the obedient children, verse number 14, you know, there in um, chapter number 1, not fashioning as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. 
And so again, we dealt with the holiness, and of course it goes on in verse number 16, for it is written, be holy for I am holy. But then, you know, he's dealing with us following in his holiness as obedient children. And, and then so again, we dealt with the holiness and following, but I, I just didn't see the, the children aspect, the, the, the obedient child aspect of that. You know, and one of the things that, again, that I've, I've uh, re, uh, dealt with before, or mentioned before, you know, when it pleased God to bruise his son, there in Isaiah, I just didn't get a, you know, couldn't wrap my mind around that um, until, you know, it was through his obedience. He, he was pleased through his obedience. And, you know, and... Uh, Even though sometimes, you know, maybe the, the task is hard or what's called upon a person to do is, is difficult. Just the fact that they obeyed. You have, you have wayward children. Of course, Brother Glenn this morning in the Sunday school hour dealt with the rebellious child. I've got two books. Uh, I haven't read them yet, but I do have two books back on my bookshelf uh, written about rebellion. And it was written by a man that run a Christian girl's home. And he would take in girls, but they wasn't girls from the street. They wasn't girls from the, the rough part of town, the other side of the tracks. These were girls from, that was raised up in independent Baptist church homes. Raised up in church, but just for whatever re- reason decided to rebel against everything that they had been brought up in and, and taught. And then was placed in these girls' homes. And one thing or another, but he deals with the rebellion and that rebellion that was within us and within our flesh. Uh, so again, our obedience as or we're to be holy as obedient children, then as newborn babes. There in verse two of chapter two, uh, desiring the sincere milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. Again, we dealt with that. Remember the the burping and the, whatever uh, the message there, but. Uh, but again, as a babe. And so when we, we look at ourselves and then we understand, and, and Peter writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us these various aspects of, of, of mankind and our, our lives in, in the physical that we understand. We understand an obedient child and a disobedient child. We understand being able to say, son, daughter, do this, and they go, yes, mother, father, and they go do it. And you're just like, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Son, it's mowing season again. When I get home, I want the yard to be mowed because we are going to go somewhere when I get home. It needs to be mowed before I get home. And instead of them putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, they go and they do it. And you come home and it's done. That pleases the Father. We understand that. And so we can take that understanding because we have children or have been a child. <laughs> and we understand pleasing our earthly parents. And we understand what it, how pleased we are when our children obey. We have earthly children and we've raised up infants 
and we see them crying, <laughs> you know, when they were like Maddie's size when she was here this last time, you know, I'm just like, she's cute and everything, but she just eats, sleeps, and poops. You know, I mean, and she cries when she's wet, and she cries when she's tired, and she cries when she's hungry. Uh, she cries. I guess there's four things that she does, and that was kind of where she has, it was at in life. But then taking that and being her, having her in my home again and seeing and being around that, you know, a, a little baby again, as they desire mama's milk when the time comes. <laughs> and they cry and they long and they nuzzle. And, you know, mama's getting ready to feed and they just like, just can't wait. I mean, it's just like, you know, and then as they get older, when they realize just where it's coming from, they'll pull on the shirt. Because you're not getting it done, undone enough, fast enough. Or if you feed, bottle feed, you know, they're, they're grabbing at the bottle while you're trying to pop off the, the bottle cap, the cover over the nipple. They're trying to grab it because they know what's coming their way. And they have that desire, and, they, and you see that again, reminded of that in, in Maddie's life when she's, you know, around mom, you know, where you've got the baby, the baby's time, and it's time for the baby's uh, to feed, and the baby starts nuzzling on your chest, and you're like, I can't help you there, sister, you know, and so you, you give it to mom who can help in that way. But they have that desire, and we are to have that same desire as newborn babes for the sincere milk of the Word of God. And then as lively stones, we, we kind of dealt with it, but again, built up there in verse number five, are built as, as lively stones are built up into a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You know, and again, it says the spiritual house, but again, another thing is, you know, the stones were used for is to build up an altar, the sacrifice. So we can deal with it that we can understand the physical. He gives it in a play in a way that we can understand these things, lively stones. And then being a chosen generation, I don't quite understand that, but a royal priesthood and a peculiar people. And we're to walk differently. And in, in times we were not a people, we now are the people of God. So he, uh, Peter is saying, look, think back to what you were and where you come from. And what God has done for you, where he's brought you from. You had a pay, you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So stirring our minds up by way of remembrance, like we read there this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3. The second epistle, beloved, I write. Are now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So he, he's able to draw help, help just to, by these words in this first epistle even to, to trigger something in our minds as newborn babes, as lively stones, as, as obedient children. As not being a people but now are a people. As not having obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Think back where you were. Look now where you are, where God brought you from and what he's done in your life. And now in verse number 11, you, know, you were not a people, now are the people. But now, verse number 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you as 
strangers and pilgrims. Another aspect. Well, probably now that I've established all this, when we get down to um, as, as these servants of God and as sheep later on in this chapter, then it will, it will, we will look at it in that, that different way. But today, today, as strangers and pilgrims, again, as I often do, looked up the definition just to, I mean, we, we kind of know what a stranger is. We kind of know what a pilgrim is, you know. But for the sake of the study, a foreigner, a stranger is a foreigner, one who belongs to another country. I think we've seen about some of those that country, you know, uh, tonight, and, and we're looking forward to the what's got ahead of us. You know, that other country. We don't belong here as a child of God. Amen. We are a stranger. We're a foreigner. We belong to another country. And then uh, the fourth definition that I want to pull out and use tonight is one unacquainted. One unacquainted, and it gives a sentence, you know, as, as they often do, my child is yet a stranger to the world. And my children, you know, raised up and, you know, I mean, in a bubble, really. Homeschool, Christian school, Allen Ford, radio station. I mean, they, and so it was, it was interesting because their life was just, at church or at the pastor's house, which happened to be their grandfather's house or at my house, and they were very sheltered from a whole lot of the things of the world. We didn't go, you know, a lot of places. And for a long time, we were very uh, cautious, stringent on just who they got to go home with, if they got to go home with anybody. Sometimes it was with, with cousins, and, in, and uh, sometimes it was at the cousin's house. Other times it was at the cousins, and them were at Brother and Sister Hall's house. But we were very careful, and they, so they were strangers to the world. They were unaccustomed. They were unacquainted with the world. They didn't understand. And then, of course, as they got older and was introduced to some things, they come to me in puzzlement, bewilderment, going, Dad, I'm like, yeah, it's a wicked world out there. You know, some things that I've sheltered you, they were unacquainted with that. They were a stranger to that. And as the children of God, as a stranger, as a pilgrim, we should be unacquainted with this world. Sad to say, lots of times because we were not a people of God. <laughs> In our former life, we understood the world and we, we went to the world and we were part of the world. But going back over here to chapter number one, as obedient children and being holy and seeking holiness in our lives, it should make us more a stranger to the world and to the things of the world. And then a pilgrim, a wanderer, a traveler, particularly one that travels to a distance from his own country to visit a holy place. Or to pay, to pay his devotion to the re, uh, remains of dead saints. That's, we're not going to do that. But, but going with that first one, we know that the Muslims, they have a pilgrimage to Mecca. And then we as a pilgrim go through this world. And as I read this, let me read this other definition. In Scripture, one that, uh, that has only a temporary residence on earth. Hallelujah. And he references Hebrews 11 and Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. 
through 16, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had, an, uh, have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, Whoop. that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And there's where we're, we're on a pilgrim journey. We're a stranger in this earth. We're, we should be, uh, what was the word, unacquainted with this earth, and we're just passing through. And uh, Sister Sherry rode down to... Uh, fifth Sunday with this, um, I rode back with this Pam, but as she went down, she, she thought, since I don't have to drive, I'm just going to take a book to read. But then she started reading the book and started closing her eyes, and she said, this is futile. But <laughs> she brought the book, Pilgrim's Progress. She said it's been a while since she, had, since she had read Pilgrim's Progress. And I said, good book, good story, good thought behind that. But in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim, all right, <laughs> Um, Christian and uh, Christian and faithful. Christian was the pilgrim. Starts his pilgrim journey. He's headed to the celestial city, but um, but here when it talks about a stranger to the world, you know, in our in our walk, we are to be this. Let me just read it back to verse number eleven. Dear beloved, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works glorify um, your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And in the book Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim and Faithful finds himself, they're journeying together, and evangelists called up to them right before they went into the city called Vanity. And in vanity, there was a fair that went on year-round. I read a little synopsis of this. When Christian and faithful are nearly through the wilderness, evangelist catches up with them. They are glad to see him and tell him about their pilgrimage, pilgrimage thus far. Evangelist exhorts them to keep striving and not to grow weary in their journey. Christian asks him to tell them what they will encounter in the future. Evangelist prophesies that they will soon enter a town of vanity whose residents will kill one or both of them. That's good news, isn't it? <laughs> he encourages them to be brave. And, and I'll read the rest of it in a minute, but in vanity and, and in the fair and in vanity, you know, a lot of Christians go, or a lot of pilgrims, let's put it that way, they go wayward. They're, they're pulled in by the world. And I don't know, even before my preparation for tonight, I thought I, uh, it was one of those where I had posted the photographs of me and Brother Hall and Lisa and, and uh, Mrs. Hall. We each took turns taking the picture, and I put a clod, made a clodge together and put it, this is the background, that they were able to visit the church. And we appreciated their visit and you know, of course, I, I tagged Lisa in and I tagged their their webpage in, or their Facebook in it. So all of Lisa's friends that's not my friend sees it and all of their friends that's not my friend sees it and 
they respond accordingly. Well, there was a name that popped up that's not my friend. I've known this person in the past. (laughs) And her husband, who's now dead, her first husband, who's now dead, was a servant of God, a preacher, missionary. I seen that name and the memory of her husband popped into my mind. And he was one, I believe, he's, I believe he's in heaven today. I do. Even though he went wayward. Uh, they had several children. Because of the children, she put on weight. Uh, there was a little filly that come along that was a lot more slender than his wife after bearing him several children. And he went that direction. Got out of the ministry, and then it was a very, very short time at a very young age. He died. That destruction of the flesh that we read in 1 Corinthians, I believe, happened to him. I believe he's in heaven tonight. But I believe God's chastening hand fell upon him. And God took him out to take the reproach that he was bringing the name of Christ off of him. And I, and I thought about that earlier. And then when I read this, I thought, that, that fits. So many times, pilgrims on their journey to the celestial city wind up in the middle of vanity. And the vanity fair all around them. And all the, and they're going, sure enough, soon, Christian and faithful enter a town called Vanity, which was the home of a huge fair that runs throughout the year. The fair is quite ancient, almost 5,000 years old. At that time, Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, seeing many pilgrims passing through Vanity on their way to the celestial city, decided to set up a fair selling all sorts of merchandise. Lands, titles, kingdoms, jewels, and even people. Every kind of sin and crime also happens there. The wares of many different nations are promoted in the streets of the fair. It is not possible to reach the celestial city without passing through Vanity Fair. Unless a person goes out of the world altogether. (laughs) Even Christ passed through it and Beelzebub offered to make him the Lord of the fair in exchange for Christ's worship of him. But Christ resisted the temptation. So this uh, allegory that was written by John Bunyan, taken straight out of the scenes of the Word of God, again, helps us to understand because we can apply the knowledge of the way that this world works. As soon as Christian and faithful enter the fair, they cause a commotion. Their clothing is strange. Their speech, the language of Canaan, sounds barbaric to the people of vanity. And they constantly turn their eyes away and plug their ears against the sellers and merchandise calling on heaven for help. When Christian and faithful say that they are only interested in buying the truth, the people of vanity mock them. And I'll just leave it at that. That's all I've printed off, but there's more there in the, in the little survey. Those familiar with Pilgrim's Progress understands and knows, and of course, faithful dies. A bad death. He's, he's, they brought up false accusers, and they wind up killing faithful. Christian escapes, and he's able to go on. 
his pilgrim's journey. But as I read this here in our in First Peter, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. And just like we read there in Hebrews thirteen, Hebrews eleven, you know they they had a desire. Uh, they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Verse, uh, uh, Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. We as pilgrims and as, as strangers and as pilgrims desire that better city, as it says there in Hebrews, that better country. You know, and we, we should be mindful of that country, like it says there, verse 15, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had the opportunity to return. But they, they, sought, they sought a country. Uh, far off, <coughs> and they confess that they were pilgrims and strangers on earth. We should not be acquainted with the earth when we know that the earth is around us, the world is around us. But like they said, they blocked their ears, and they blocked their eyes, and they tried to keep from the temptations that were uh, uh, pulling them in, you know, trying to pull them away off their pilgrimage journey. And, and as it says here in, in 1 Peter, you know, we should abstain as pilgrims and strangers, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And again, we could rehearse, and I know, again, <clears throat> we're, you know, we're, Brother Glenn is just short of this passage, but we'll rehearse it, and we'll rehearse it again when he gets there. And Paul even understood this. Verse number 21 of chapter 7 of Romans. Let's go back up. Verse number 15. Nope, let's go back up to 14. <laughs> nope, let's go back to 13. Um, verse number 11. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear, sin working death in me, by, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not, but I, what I hate... That, I, that, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I can send unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. How to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, is it no more is it more no more that I do it, or I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me? I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing uh, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And we can all, we can all say the next verse, the next three words, or next four words, five words, six words. Oh, wretched man that I am. 
we, we, we find ourselves, and again, Peter here is just saying, look, as strangers and pilgrims, you've got to keep your eyes upon the prize. You've got to keep your eyes on that celestial city. You've got to keep your eyes on the king and what he wants for us in our lives. You know, there is a better country, better than what's the world that's pulling on us, like it pulls on the flesh there in, in Paul's life. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he answers, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, all through Pilgrim's Progress, he's looking to the prince. You know, he wants to please the prince. <laughs> and, and, and again, you know, like you said there, you know, as, as they went through, they, they were looking for the truth. They wanted to buy the truth. They, they, they stopped their ears up to the world. They stopped their eyes up to the world. And we, as strangers and as pilgrims, we too, what it says, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, need to do the same thing. We need to keep our eyes upon the prize. We sing of that heavenly country. We sing of the street of gold. We sing of the gates that's going to be open to us one of these days. And, and, and we need to, I mean, yes, we are to occupy till he comes. And yes, we have to work a public job. We have to work their jobs. We have to provide for our, our families. But as, chill, as strangers and pilgrims, and again, you know, all these things, Peter here is applying to us. We dealt with it. Children, babes, stones, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. And now or the people of God, and now as strangers and pilgrims. And we can relate to these things. You know, and, and as that, then we are to abstain from those fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And it is a war. We understand that too. And the image is a war. War is ugly. You know, war is a struggle. Hand-to-hand combat. It's, you know, it's one thing to, you know, like, Sit there behind the screen and you see the little, uh, in the modern wars, you see the, the drone and he's got a camera on this convoy and, you know, and you're sitting several hundred miles away, maybe thousands of miles away and you're just seeing this drone on the screen. You say, it, it's not personal. You just see, okay, that's a target. And we see those images you know, on the, on the, in the media today. But war, when it's hand-to-hand combat, everybody's out of bullets, and you've, you've got a, a fixed bayonet on a weapon, and he's got a fixed bayonet on a weapon, and it's you and him, or you or him, and you know one of you is going to die. That's the way we should look at these lusts that want to pull us away, that war against the soul. We need to remember that there were many pilgrims lost in Vanity Fair. Many pilgrims pulled aside, pulled off of their journey in Vanity Fair. And we need to apply it to us. Hey, look, we go out Monday. I mean, we come in here Sunday, we get recharged. We come in here Wednesday nights and we get recharged. But what we face Monday and Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday during the day, what we face Thursday, Friday, and Saturday... You know, I mean, it, Brother Tim and others have mentioned, you know, preachers mentioned billboards. I wasn't looking for that, but there it is. 
commercials nowadays. It's like, brother, brother Chris talked about, you know, and it's just, you're looking for, you're looking for, uh, maybe on YouTube, you're looking for videos of preachers and there's some out there. There's Brother Billy Mitchell's out there and a lot of other preachers, good men of God. You want to li- listen to one of their sermons, go to YouTube and you're scrolling up and down through there. But on the side, you got these commercials, these ads. Look, I'm looking for preaching. I'm looking for something to help me on my pilgrim journey. And on the side, I didn't need to see that. The devil knows Vanity Fair is pulling on you. See, looky here. Remember me? Remember back then? Look what you could have now. Pulling on you. Pulling on the flesh. Mr. Matthew Henry writes of this. As pilgrims and strangers, we should not uh, see their condition in the world. They are pilgrims and strangers and should not impede their passage by giving into the wickedness and lust of the country through which they pass. That's exactly right. Look, we need to, I mean, yes, we've got homes. Brother Hall was talking about his home in Kentucky and the memories that's there. And I, I encouraged him. I said, Brother Hall, I tried to encourage hopefully encouraged him. I said, Brother Hall, I said, I know, I said, I've got a home in, in Kentucky too, and there's memories there. And I know, I've heard uh, the one time that I went to Pollard without Lisa and Jesse. <laughs> and I stopped by Aunt Sue's house because I, I had only been there maybe one other time. And so to, to find my way out, I pulled to Aunt Sue's house and I wound up taking Tina, Aunt Sue, and Linda, I believe it was. And on the way out there, you know, Aunt Sue and Linda, mainly, they're going, yeah, so-and-so lived there. You know, they're talking about all the different families and all the little different memories and just things that popped up in their home. I get it. There's memories. There's, there's, there's memories, fond and otherwise, but there's fond memories. Last time I went into Tennessee, uh, I was going to my sister's house. I'd arranged to go and at least see her for a little bit. And I was just weeping, crying, just driving to her house through the back rows and roads, a little country road, and just this something about home. I was just, the memories that just flooded me, overwhelmed me, and I was just crying as I drove to her house. And I understand, you know, the good memories and things like that, but look, we need to get our eyes off. You were... (laughs) What was it? You were not a people of God. You had not obtained mercy. There's where lots of us, we, we want to go and live. I told Brother All, I said, look, Brother All, I know there's memories there. And, and selling that house would be, you know, you're torn to do that. The flesh wants to keep it because of the memories, but really, realistically, you know, he's looking at things that it would be better to liquidate now and I said I said but I tried to I said you know there is memories there in the physical I said but look I said you know the Bible talks about laying up treasures in heaven and I said you've laid up several treasures in heaven again getting our eyes on that country like brother uh, uh, 
Brunson preached down at Fifth Sunday a few Fifth Sundays ago. And I said, and I said, and what in my time sitting under you and what you have instilled in me that I've now carried to Sooner Rose Baptist Church, and I said, and what God will do do through me in this ministry will lay up dividends for you in heaven. And he says, I hope you get a lot. <laughs> But again, getting our eyes off the things of this world and the cares of this life and all the things that war against this flesh and pull us aside and get our eyes focused like the pilgrims and strangers, strangers and pilgrims there in Hebrews chapter 11. They seem, you know, Paul talking about pressing toward the prize of the high calling of God. Brother Hall talks about that scripture, and he said when I, he was growing up as a boy, but on a, a tractor, <laughs> you can't plow like this. <laughs> because when, when you get down at the end and you look back, your furrows will be like this. And the first time, I think the first pass, he had done that. He was trying to plow like this, making sure of where the plow he thought was going. Somebody stopped him at the end of his first row when he's teaching him. said, you can't do that. Don't, don't plow behind you. He said, you pick a point out in front of you. And you head straight to that point. And he did that the second pass. And he looked back after he got done and everything was nice and straight. And there's where we, so, so we try to go through this life. God help us. We go through this life looking behind us. You can't do that. You'll wind up going astray. You'll wind up getting off the path, getting off the track. What you need to do is look and find you that point. And what is that point? That heavenly city. Amen. That point is Jesus Christ coming back. That point is ruling the reign with him. That point could be another, a number of things, but it's a better country that we're just passing through this. Look, set your eyes and affection upon that prize and aim toward that. And then when you get to the end of your journey, you'll look back. And your furrows will be straight. You won't be pulled aside. God help us. I'm preaching to me too. Good, a good reminder because, hey, the same world that pulls on you pulls on me. Same flesh that you war against. Last I checked, I'm in it too. So again, they should not impede their passage by giving into wickedness and lust of the country through, their, through which they pass. And the mischief and danger these sins do, they war against the soul, and therefore your souls ought to war against them. It's a warfare. It's a struggle. Look, it's hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's a fight. You've got... You, you, and then Christ gives us the example... He, and like the allegory, Christ passed through Vanity Fair too. And of course, in the word of God, he went through the temptation in the wilderness too. Yet he was without sin. How did he do it? The word of God. That's it. He did it with the word of God. And is it, is it any coincidence, I say not, that Peter here writing... Gets to us as strangers and pilgrims, but it's after the fact, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God, that we, that ye may grow thereby. 
If so be that you have tasted the Lord, he is gracious. So, not in my note, but here it is. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of, the, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. <laughs> and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with uh, all perseverance and supplications for all saints and for me. Because <laughs> the sentence didn't stop with verse number 18. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The whole armor of God. And guess what? That's in that allegory too. <laughs> After Christian left his, his home and he, he went through the wicket gate, <coughs> he found himself at Calvary. He was under a burden until he got to Calvary. <laughs> then he found himself at the foot of the cross and the burden was rolled away. And then he began his pilgrimage journey. And somewhere along the way, he went to a place and was given the armor of God. And he walked through with his armor. They look at us, yeah, you're, you're, you're dressed awful strange while well, I've got the armor of God on. Hopefully. And like the one fellow that, uh, at Island Ford, he said, you know, as a young Christian, as a, I think he was in his 40s or 50s when he got saved, actually. He said he was trying to go out and work the sawmill and then, you know, come home and eat dinner and before bed he was reading his Bible and doing his study then. And he just felt defeated. As he went out, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you're, putting on, you're coming home and putting on the armor of God before you go to bed. You need to get up and put on the armor of God before you go out in the world. And he changed his devotion time, and it helped him. Before you go out, it's a warfare. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room, like the song says. <laughs> it's a fight, not a game. God help us. All right, so he, Mr. he says, learn. The grand mischief that sin does to man is this. It wars against the soul. It destroys the moral liberty of the soul. It weakens and debilitates the soul by impairing its faculties. It robs the soul of its comfort and peace. It debases and destroys the dignity of the soul, hinders its present prosperity, and plunges it into everlasting misery. And I got to thinking about that fellow that I knew. It was a little pleasure for a little while. It's a wonder. I don't know about all of his children. I know a couple of them wound up in the military. And, you know, several was kept in, you know, in church and things like that. And, I'm, and I think some, you know, for the most part, 
as I said, I haven't kept up with the children per se, but I know uh, seeing some of the pictures, you know, some some still seem to hold some of the values that they were raised in. I knew the churches that they were in. But it affects your family. It debilitates. It destroys. It does all kinds of things when you're pulled off the track in Vanity Fair. When you give in to the flesh. And then finally here, I said, all sorts of sin, none are more injurious to the soul than fleshly lusts. Carnal appetites, lewdness, and sensuality are the most odious to God and destructive to man's soul. It is a sore judgment to be given up to them. Like it was in that man that I knew. And I, I think, and I, I know, and, and like I said, I've told you oftentimes, I just, when I'm pulled with temptation of the flesh, one of the things the Holy Spirit just knocks me with really quick, that, what is it, the, uh, with the temptation, he gives you a way of escape. When the temptation comes, the way of escape that, that he uses in my heart is what it would do to my wife, what it would do to my seven children, what it would do to my 14 grandchildren coming on, what it would do to my testimony of everybody in Madisonville that knew me. I mean, what it would do to this church. What it would do to my testimony among the lost people that I work with. Oh, I knew it all along. I've been watching him. He did, he did so good for so long, but I knew he'd stumble. I knew he would fall. There ain't nothing in that Christianity. And even though I might be saved and pulled astray and lose my testimony, and it would cinch and secure their destiny to hell because they're looking at me. And because that goes right on into verse number 12, semicolon at the end of 11, having your conversation honest as strangers and pilgrims, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, see there's that as evildoers, they speak against us just like they did faithful and just like they did Christian. They spoke against them. There's false witnesses out there. They try to trip you up. They try to bring you in on some conversations that I, I almost, you know, there's been several times, but this, this last week that they tried to pull me in on a subject that I didn't, you know what I'm saying? The subject of the flesh. But, but eventually, again, they're watching you, they're listening to you, that by your conversation, back up here, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you, or speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, they're watching, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And again, going back to Matthew, they would see your good works and glorify God. Why? Because they see something in you that they don't have. And then hopefully through, through that, God will give them a desire to have what you have and you have the opportunity to give them the gospel and God through that 
then they become saved. They get saved. Then they can glorify God. I can stand to testify of people in my life, my grandmother being the, pro, the most prominent, my grandmother and other people in my life that God used in their conversation, in their lives, that I wanted and followed after and wanted in my life what they had. And I can praise God for every one of them today. <sighs> Amen. All right. I just, I hate sin. I hate the flesh. I hate the warfare that we put up with. And just refocus. I'm, thank, I'm so thankful for church and for the Word of God. <laughs> and for the fellowship of the saints of God. This Sunday and otherwise, camp, to go and get recharged, to go and get reminded. And me standing and reminding you reminds me <laughs> that in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. And there's just a warfare that we deal with. But set your eyes on the prize. Looking unto Jesus, the Bible tells us, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's where we got to look. As obedient children, <laughs> again, to His holiness, and not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He that hath, uh, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because we're looking to Him as our example. Not per people, people fall. Look to Him. Keep your eyes on Him. And it'll help you. Again, He answered His own question there in, in, you know, in Romans chapter number 7. He answered His question, and what was, what was the answer? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. There's the answer. He's the answer. He's the answer for your struggles in this flesh. God help me. He's the answer for my struggles in this flesh. And hopefully tonight, as we go out tomorrow, face another day, we'll remember some of these things as the... As the old black preacher said, the willies of the devil, <laughs> the wiles of the devil, <laughs> and those darts that come our way will be quenched because we have our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of my life. Thank you, Lord, for using me to remind the people here, Lord. And we all know that we warfare, that we war against this flesh and against principalities and powers. God, but your example in the wilderness, how you faced a temptation without sin, using the word of God upon the devil. Lord, how that we should des desire the sincere milk of the word of God as newborn babes. God, that we should take it in and, Lord, be able to use it when we faced, face the temptations that come our way. Help us, Lord, as strangers and pilgrims, realizing, Lord, we are not of this world we're, to pass, we're just passing through. We're to look uh, to the end of this life and our heavenly city that's waiting for us in a, in a, in a, in a future time. And Lord, I pray and ask that you'll, uh, Lord, help us to draw upon this for strength. 
this message and this scripture for strength and grace and help as we war against this flesh day by day and throughout the week, especially out in this world. We're to be in this world but not of the world. The Bible continues to tell us later on in our studies. And Lord, help us, dear God, to remember that as well. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen, amen. We will have a song of invitation. Brother Tim and Ms. Pam, come. If the Lord has spoken to you in any way. And the altars are open. Come and pray. And, and uh, just do business with God as he is or may be directing you. Amen.